Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. journeying through this little interlude between Christmas and Lent, exploring topics called, what's that all about? And we had a number of people that listed both heaven and hell, and we're just going to do heaven today. Uh, But one of the reasons that there is so much mythology and curiosity about heaven is that you have to journey all the way through Revelation to really get this depiction here that I've shared with you of heaven. And it's a very hope-filled picture of it, which we'll dive into. But most people don't make it through the first 20 chapters of Revelation to get there. It's filled with all kinds of, let's just be honest, weird things. And some of it is frightening and disturbing. And so most people get maybe a couple chapters in and then they go, all right, I'm going to go back to the Gospels. So it's important today that we take a moment to really focus on what is shared here. And why is it shared in this way? John of Patmos was living in exile. He was living on this island of Patmos, and he was there as punishment. This was his permanent timeout because he was a Christian and he was causing trouble for the secular authorities. And so they put him in exile, and they said, if you cause any more trouble, that will be the end of you. And so his journey there was one that was filled with peril and mourning and suffering. And while he's there, he's given this gift, this vision. And that's what visions are. They're gifts of God to human beings. And they're meant to inspire us, educate us, inform us, guide and guard us. But most assuredly, they are there to remind us that God is present with us and is leading us to a better future. And so this vision that John received and that John has been sharing with Christians for generation upon generation remains one of hope. Now, visions are not always literally true. Plenty of people in scriptures have visions. And while the spiritual truth of the vision comes to fruition, the actual intricacies of what they saw or heard or experienced may not exactly be that way. For instance... Joseph has this vision, this dream of his brothers as sheaves of wheat wheat bowing before him. His brothers never transubstantiate into wheat, but there is a day when they find themselves bowing before Joseph, who through his trials and his tribulation and his journey has found himself second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And his brothers come and they are bowing before him and he remembers this dream that this vision has come to fruition but not literally. Instead, it's the truth of the vision. And visions are still something that people have. I've had many people in our congregation share with me encounters they've had, and people go, well, you don't even know that that's God. And that's not the point of the vision. The vision is that it inspires and upholds us when we needed to be encouraged. That's the point of the vision. And not everybody's vision is for the other person. Sometimes they are truly just for us. I've only had one vision in my lifetime, and it happened on my journey to ordination. In the United Methodist Church, you you journey to ordination. Sometimes I refer to this lovingly as running the gauntlet to ordination. And you hit this point where you're commissioned, and it's temporary sacramental authority, 
and you are what they call a provisional in whatever order you're applying for ordination as. So you would be a provisional deacon, or in my case, a provisional elder, because there's a three-year time period where you are practicing, and if you mess up, then they can go, no, this really isn't working. Um, it used to be called the probationary period, but that sounds very punitive, and so they've made it provisional, but don't kid yourself, it is probation. They are making sure that I'm not gonna mess up anything while I'm in this position. And so I came to the time where I had been commissioned and I'm working my way through the three years of continuing education and meeting with other provisionals and my mental group and, and being in covenantal relationship and writing all these papers. I wrote more papers for the Board of Ordained Ministry than I did for my associates, my bachelors, or my masters. It, it was an incredible amount of writing. And so I came to the end of that third year and I was so ready. I had already written three of my four papers, 40 pages had already been written and I only had 10 more to go and I was so excited to get it done and then November happened. And November was a horrific month. I finalized my divorce. I unfortunately had to bury my last living grandparent. I literally officiated my grandmother's funeral. And then if that weren't worse enough, at the end of the month when I finally now had time, I had taken off time from from my ministry to go up to Northern Virginia for Thanksgiving and be with my parents. They were gonna cook and take care of me and I was just gonna write out the rest of my paper. 10 pages, that's all I had left to do, 10 pages. And I got up there and the first morning I woke up, despite the fact I had a flu shot, I clearly had the flu. And I was devastated. I cannot possibly convey to you how hurt, how angry. I went through all the stages of grief that week. It was um, really painful for my parents to watch. And I knew that what this meant was that I was not going to finish my papers. I was not going to be able to submit them on time. And the United Methodist Church is very clear on this. You can't be one hour late. If you are late, you must wait an entire calendar year and apply again. So all of that coming together, I was completely dejected and it was not a very thanksgiving. There was lots of giving, but not thanks. And it was a horrible, horrible time for, for me and for my parents who were having to watch their child go through this misery. And so uh, that night after Thanksgiving supper, I remember laying in bed and just being, um, weeping all over again and being really angry and hurt. And suddenly my vision completely changed and I could no longer see with my eyes. Instead, I saw a vision of my ordination and at first it was God and I have this relationship where I'm like seriously do you know how upset I am right now and you're showing me this and then I realized that what God was saying is this is your future you are still going to get here and it I was very clear because for the last eight years I had been watching the service of the ordering of ministry which is the ceremony in which people are ordained and I would watch it and they would transform the stage in whatever convention center we were meeting into into the largest chancel in the state. And there they would call people up one by one. They would kneel before the bishop. There was a laying of hands. And I could see myself there. I could see everything as it should have been. My Bible was there and I was kneeling before the bishop and he was laying his hands on me. Everything was so crystal clear. I could sense all of it with all, that I, all my faculties. I could tell it was there. And God was saying, this is your future. This is where you are going. And it might be one more year than you thought. And then God got snarky and was like, yeah, but it could be 40. It could be 40. And I was like, well played. But the point is, 
that the vision was for me to sustain me. It was meant to help get me out of my funk and my wallowing and instead get me to be refocused. I have one more year. I have one more year. I set aside all that I had already done so that I would write all new papers for the next year. Everything would be brand spanking new and it would be better. If I have another year, I'm bringing my A game like it's never been brought before. And so I did that. That's what it was. And sure enough, the next year, I was ordained. And while some of it was like the vision showed, some of it was different, but it was better. I was wearing something different. I had not yet found the perfect shoes. <laughs> had the perfect shoes. And I couldn't see in the vision, but my son was kneeling next to me. He came up and he knelt next to me. And when the bishop laid hands, he didn't lay hands on my son. But my son was kneeling in prayer right next to me. I couldn't see that in the vision. And all of these things came to fruition. And at that moment, I remember looking back in, into my memory bank and going, if I hadn't had that vision, I don't know that I would have gotten here as I did. I might have given up. I might have turned aside. I might have slacked off. I might never have been as recommitted to doing it as I became. John's vision of heaven was meant to be that. And for generations, it has provided people with a tangible thing to look forward to. Now, the vision of heaven that John gives us, is it literally what heaven will look like? I don't know. I've never seen pure gold that is clear. I've never seen that. But you'll also notice that when he's describing all of the precious gems, the best that they could envision, it's from a limited understanding of there's no diamonds. Now, you know if somebody were writing this today, the entire thing would be blinged out and encrusted in diamonds. And the best metal that they knew of at the time was gold. They had not yet unearthed platinum. They didn't know. So he's giving you the vision that he had, given his experience and who he is. But we don't want to get bogged down in the minutia. Instead, it's not the vision, but what is behind the vision. God is conveying to us in this text that God has created the perfect place for all of humankind who desire to be there. And if you pay attention to the intricacies of it, it says that there is no use for a sun or a moon and that everything is clear because God's presence illuminates everything. A place where nothing, not even walls, can obstruct our presence and our communion with God. A place where we no longer have use for temples and houses of worship because God is in our midst and there is no distinction between where God ends and where we can be. We have been joined with God for all eternity in a way that we cannot fully fathom in these forms and in this world. And the fact that it comes to us. God is constantly serving us constantly giving of God's self for us. And the vision is the same way. We don't have to go anywhere. It says that it descended. It came down. You know, I've, I've noticed more and more that as our congregation has births, and whether it's births in a family or we have people who become grandparents, or in some cases, great-grandparents, there's that desire to go. Go to the child. And I think God is doing the same thing in the vision. I am coming to you. Jesus says this too. In a little while, you won't see me, but I am coming to you. I will come to you. You don't have to trek to where I am. I love you so much. I will come to you. 
And God says once and for all to all humanity, I love you so much, I am bringing heaven here. I will bring it to you because I don't want anything to keep you from coming. Not the journey, not the fear of a lack of forgiveness, grace abundant and heaven coming to earth. Nothing is impeding you. Or how about the fact that there are 12 gates and they never close? Unparalleled openness, hospitality, and invitation. That if you want to come in, God wants to make it so that you will always have a way in. If you want in, the kingdom is yours. That's the message that we get over and over again in Revelation, that it's ours for the receiving. God is giving it, and if we want it, it is ours. And there have been entire theses written about whether or not this vision is accurate. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But parts of it harmonize incredibly with the very limited things that Jesus says about it. In the Gospel account of Matthew, Jesus says to those that will inherit, come and enter into the joy of my Father. And according to Revelation, the joy of the Father is to open the gates and let all those who desire to be in perfect, eternal communion with God in. And so in our dark days, in the times when we despair and we think there has to be something better than this God, in the times when we are confronted by sickness and sinfulness and death and mourning, in the times when we think maybe this is hell on earth, God gives us a vision of heaven so that we will not stay immersed in the darkness, but instead turn our eyes to the hills and know that something better is coming. That our journey isn't fruitful, fruitless. It is not pointless. That instead, it is moving toward this credible gift of heaven that is coming to us. Now, there are plenty of times where I think I would love a day that is cloudless, I would love a day where I don't have to worry about being sick, that's already destroyed my life once, or having to deal with the pain and the sorrow and the tragedy of death. There are so many times when I think about this image of heaven and I think, yes, God, I want that. And I know that there are others who want it too. And our job as the church, as the body of Christ here and now, is to do all in our power to build as close as we can this vision of heaven because there are people in this world who can hear it and they're on board. They're golden. There are people, completely auditory learners, and they heard it and they are on board. There are people, though, who are visual. They need to see how that would work. There are people who are experiential learners. They need to come into our presence and encounter what heaven might be. And so our job in the church is to create that. And when you're talking about a vision of heaven where people don't get distracted by things that they hear or see, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have people point out stuff like, you know, I don't even understand what's going on with this carpet. It's not red, but it's not burgundy. What is it? It's Methodist red pretty ubiquitous in the Methodist church. And somebody will point out how dirty it is because we had communion. But those are distractions. Imagine a church that didn't have distractions where people didn't have to, you know, count the light fixtures 
or people didn't have to be distracted because this really isn't their color palette, or the architecture is not quite as pleasing to their eye. Imagine a world where people don't accidentally say the wrong thing or do something that offends somebody, even if that's not what they meant to do, and cause rifts in relationship. And the next thing you know, people are sitting on opposite sides of the aisle and they won't cross to pass the peace. Imagine a place where the church built a community that is filled with grace and forgiveness and hospitality and genuine love for others. That is the kind of mandate that Jesus gave to us. If we are willing to create that kind of community and build that in the church, then there are people who will encounter it and they will turn and believe. If a church can be this wonderful to me, then what must heaven be like? And that is our duty as Christians, to take whatever from this vision that John has shared, whatever it is that speaks into our heart of hearts, whatever it is that stirs our spirit and makes us go, yes, God, let that be true. Whatever it is that we would build it here, that we would enact it, that we would craft it, and that we would care for it and nurture it into the fullness of its existence. Because when God brings heaven to earth, and on earth it is done as it is in heaven, then how much better will it have been if we have laid the foundation for others to enter into the kingdom? We will never fulfill the kingdom to come, but we can come as close as possible by following the example of Jesus Christ, worshiping God the Father, and being empowered, encouraged, and indeed challenged by the Holy Spirit. If we will commit to this, then there is no doubt that our effectiveness as disciples will multiply. And the fruitfulness is not necessarily that we will build a whole new building that meets our individual wants and needs, but instead that people who felt before that there was nothing better, that they were forever outcasts, and that they had no hope, will come to understand that the vision of heaven is not just something that is preached occasionally in churches, but it is theirs. For in their darkest time, in their moment of need, and especially for them to enter into. This is who we are and what we do. We hear God calling, we respond, and when God says, I have this image of heaven for you, we don't debate the semantics of it, but instead we use it to guide us and to push us to build it here. We serve a savior who, for the first 30 years of his life, was training to be a mason, learning to use tools, learning to plan, and we are called to nothing less than that, to use whatever tools we have, our resources, our time, our talents, and to build not just structures, but community and means of support ways in which we can be conduits of God's love. And we're not finished. We can always smooth out the edges. We can always ensure that the path is made very wide and that our doors, like the gates of heaven, are always open to those in need. May this be the legacy that we receive. And may whatever vision God places in our hearts of heaven encourage us and equip us to do this holy and sacred work. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.